Hello and welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Richard Haynes of Manhattan Pacific Realty here in greater Los Angeles, the South Bay area of LA where we cover Palos Verdes to Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach in between those two cities. It is Thursday, December 9th, and we've got another December edition of the podcast for you, ending 2021 strong with a flurry of podcasts for all you guys. For this week's episode, I'm just going to do a gentle reminder on how low inventory is and how it's not going to ease up until the new year, and then lead that into an update on the very important California Affordability Index, which I think is the best predictor of where prices or the best indicator of where prices could be headed. And then finally, talk about some cost savings for buyers out there. It is rough on buyers. They're paying all-time record high prices, huge competition, low inventory. So I'm going to try and give some tips to some buyers on how to save some cash on your escrows. And of course, it's helpful to you sellers on how to keep from getting a savvy buyer from whittling down fees or grabbing some money during escrow when you're selling your house. So let's get into it. If you listened to last week's episode of the podcast, we talked about ultra low inventory. Manhattan Beach was almost at record lows. Hermosa Beach was almost at record lows. PV was at all-time record lows, all four cities. South Redondo was at all-time record lows, and North Redondo was at crazy, crazy, crazy all-time record lows in terms of inventory. And so we talked about that last week. Really tough market for buyers, incredible market for sellers, and that things just are not going to loosen up. During the holidays previously, 2019, 18, 17, 16, the holidays were a time to snag a deal. Sure, there were lower inventory levels, but there were a lot of lingering listings in normal markets where you could maybe snag something. Now, there is no inventory. Very few properties are lingering. We're not seeing any new inventory. We didn't see it last week. We aren't seeing it coming this week. And then we're going to really start heading into Christmas and the New Year's festivities, and no one's going to bring anything to market. My hope is we see inventory loosen at the beginning of January. People are ready to hit it and list their homes in 2022. However, I'm not that optimistic. Oftentimes, I see people are really motivated to hit their New Year's resolutions, get back to work strong, get back into the groove, they're wrapping up vacations, and typically listings don't start to come until the day after the Super Bowl, which is early February. So unfortunately, I think things are still going to be slow for January, so buyers have just got to be patient for the next two months. Which leads me into a transition of the California Housing Affordability Index. Now, I've written multiple blog posts on this normally once a year. I've covered it semi-annually as it's become more on the radar for a lot of buyers and sellers and myself. And now I've committed to covering this every quarter because 
a quarter or two ago, we started to see some warning signs flashing from this number. And the CAR, Housing Affordability Index, historically has been the best predictor of where prices might go. And to give you a brief summary, if you've missed any of those blog posts or the past podcast is, generally, we see that around an affordability index number of 17, that's when prices have peaked. And in the past, prices have come down or we've seen a correction when the housing affordability has reached 17. That's 17% of the households can afford the medium-priced home. We've seen the best times to buy are when the CAR affordability index is higher, 40%, 50%. We saw over 50% affordability during the Great Recession, and that ended up being an amazing time to buy. Right before the Great Recession, we saw affordability hit about 13, 12% because there were liar loans and nothing to really control the market. There are industry experts that are saying 17 was the number to really watch. Some are starting to say the low 20s are a really big flashing red sign for housing affordability because now generally buyers have college debt. They have more childcare costs because both parents work and all sorts of additional costs that previous generations didn't have that don't get factored into the affordability numbers. So they really do believe the low 20s is where it starts to get scary. And so to tell you about where we're at in 2021, at the beginning, Q1, we were at 27%. So below 30, you feel a lot more comfortable when you're in a 30% affordability. In Q2, it dropped in a big way and was down to 23%. So that's not 17% like we've seen historically of when, hey, we're due for a correction, but it is in that low 20s range where professional economists, people who have been really good at watching the California housing market have said, this is when prices need to correct. We now have the Q3 numbers. I wrote about it a couple weeks ago. I'm now talking about it on the podcast. Q2, we were at 23%. The good news is, is Q3, we actually ticked up 1%, and California's housing affordability index is now at 24%. 24% of the population can afford the medium-priced home in California. Here's how the numbers break down from the California Association of Realtors. Statewide median home price reached a record. 814,000 and change. That's a big number. The minimum annual income needed to buy a home at that price point is $148,000. You need to have $148,000 and a 20% down payment to afford an $814,000 home. Based on the monthly PITI payment, that's principal interest taxes and insurance at a 3% rate, that cost is about $3,700 a month. So you can expect to pay about $3,700 a month. And those are the numbers from CAR. If we look into the more detailed numbers produced by CAR, here are some interesting things that jumped out to me when I read the report. CAR actually credited housing getting more affordable due to a slightly less competitive housing market lower interest rates in Q3 versus Q2, 
and modest income growth throughout the state. So that's interesting because Q2, we saw interest rates climbing, so we got a little bit of relief from there. In other housing markets, maybe outside the South Bay, because I'm not seeing a less competitive housing market, I'm seeing a more competitive housing market. Throughout the state, it got a little bit less competitive and then modest income growth. So obviously, unemployment is at very low levels. Most companies are short-staffed, dying for employees, and people are getting raises and bonuses to be retained. So I do understand the income growth. So that's good news that we saw an uptick. If we could get another uptick and get to 25%, boy, oh boy, that would feel really nice. However, I don't know if we're going to get it. We really need to see what Q4 says and then Q1 of 2022 says to see if we're finding some sort of trend or starting to level out. Because in the South Bay, I see it being more competitive. Interest rates moving up or down slightly doesn't really affect us here in a luxury market. And modest income growth, I do know, is a big deal. I'm sure white-collar workers in tech are making a lot more money and seeing their stock portfolios grow. Further detail on these reports, the Los Angeles metro area, so the city of Los Angeles, improved from 24% affordability in Q2 to 26%. So city of LA did even better in terms of more people can afford homes, which is great news. However, on the flip side, the county of Los Angeles, so the greater LA area, saw affordability drop from 22% in Q2 to 19% in Q3 which might actually explain why the South Bay has felt so tough in Q3 for buyers is because affordability has actually dropped in the county of Los Angeles. So the South Bay, Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, Torrance, those areas have all surged, and those are in the county of LA, but not in the city of LA. So I think these are all interesting notes. As a whole, we got good news slight breather on affordability, both in the state and in the city of LA. Things seem to be getting tougher in the South Bay, but generally the statewide affordability numbers are what we follow and what really dictates, or at least tries to predict or give us a gauge on where prices might go. So All in all, this was a positive result. Let's hope for more stabilization in this index, and I'll get back to you guys at the beginning of the new year with what the Q4 numbers said for the CAR Housing Affordability Index. But good news for now, still an uncomfortable level, but that is the latest report. So moving on to the second portion of the podcast here, generally, it's been a Very, very, very tough market for buyers. I wrote a blog called Black Friday Cost-Cutting Strategies for Buyers. So look, every dollar, every penny counts in this market for buyers because you're overpaying to get property. You're paying more than the highest comp to land a home in a nice area. So let's try and give you some ideas on how to save some money in an incredibly difficult market, okay? I'm going to start off with, let's see here. One, two, three, four items 
that can save you a lot of money. Generally on a million dollar purchase, if you implement these strategies and do them effectively, it's going to save you $8,000 in costs. And I'll wrap those up for you at the end of the podcast. But basically, if you want to save eight grand that normally people don't chase in typical markets or don't know, et cetera, et cetera, these are things you can do to save yourself a lot of money. Topic number one of four, pre-negotiate a credit in your offer. Okay, so oftentimes people are just writing offers on property based on price. And if they're lucky enough to win a bidding war or lock up a property, you go into escrow, you do your inspections, and you're asking for concessions based on the condition of the property. What I have seen be an uh, effective strategy of late is pre-negotiating a credit. So if you aren't in a competitive scenario and a property sat for a couple of weeks, you negotiate on price, but in your offer, you write in that you want a $5,000 credit because you notice the property has some deferred maintenance and or you need a credit on your closing costs to help you afford it, and you slide in a $5,000 closing cost credit. Most sellers really just look at the price once you've countered, and they take into account the credit, but when push comes to shove, a lot of times that credit gets forgotten about on counter number two or counter number three, and you're getting down into really trying to make a deal happen. This is also effective on properties that are falling out of escrow. So someone fell out of escrow previously with inspection reports that weren't very good. You look at those and you ask for a credit up front. And a lot of times sellers will give it to you to compensate for those discoveries in previous inspections. So I like asking for that up front. You still do your own inspections and you can ask for more later. But generally, ask for a $5,000 credit on a million dollar buy and I find you can get it. Not to mention a $5,000 credit or a credit is much more effective than a price reduction. Here's how that breaks down. If you buy a $1 million home with 20% down, you have to bring 200 grand to the table. If you get a $5,000 reduction in price, you only save $1,000 in what you have to bring down. So you have to bring a, you know, a 90, $199,000 down payment or $198,000 down payment. It doesn't save you that much until you sell the property. But if you do a credit for $5,000 and say you pay $1,005,000 in price, well, actually $196,000 down payment is required. Credits are basically a little bit of a financial engineering tool that you can use with lenders, and you end up saving a lot more money than a price reduction in terms of out-of-pocket expenses. We can go over that in more detail if it doesn't make sense. You can call me, you can email me. If you're a client, we'll walk through it and I'll let you have it make a little bit more sense. Topic number two, we'll fly through the rest of these three. Topic number two, credit your home warranty before the close of escrow. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get a home warranty. In fact, all CAR contracts require buyers to get home warranties. And if they don't, you have to sign a waiver that you're taking on risk. But when you buy a used car, you get a car warranty. Not a lot of people do it. When you go and buy, you know, a new printer for your computer, do you always send in that coupon for the warranty? Rarely. Okay. Most people don't use their home one-year home warranty. Most people forget about it. And the few people that I know who actually make a claim 
It's a heck of a challenge getting any money out of the home warranty companies. Oftentimes here in the South Bay, we see home warranties paid between five dollars or $1,000 that the seller pays for in good faith. You write that into your offer like a normal buyer, like every buyer does, and once you have come to kind of the conclusion of negotiations while you're in escrow, you ask the seller to credit you that 500 bucks, that 750 bucks, that 1000 bucks in home warranty, and you take that money back. And sure, you can buy your own home warranty policy. I like kind of self-insuring myself because most clients never, ever, ever use it and only last one year. I'd rather have you take that $500 to $1,000 and put it in your pocket. Topic number three, ask escrow for a discount up front. Like most things in life, fees are negotiable. Your real estate agent's fee is negotiable. Your inspector's fee is negotiable escrow's fee is negotiable too, okay? Title insurance is not negotiable. Title companies have to set their fees by law, post them, and they're all within a very close number to one another. But escrow is certainly negotiable. I could break down what's standard in the industry for escrow. Some people charge $2.50 every $1,000. Some charge $2, and there's a base fee. I walk clients through these fees all the time, but ultimately you can negotiate these fees down in a big amount well up front before you even open escrow. Or if you've opened escrow, you can ask for a 10% discount, a 20% discount, and normally get those. So oftentimes with a $1 million escrow fee might cost you around $2,500 as a buyer, you can ask for a 10% discount and get $250 off easily. If you're a $3 million escrow, that's $650 in savings if you ask for 10% off. And on high escrow prices like that, you can normally get even more. So those are big cost savings just by politely asking escrow agents because most buyers have no clue that they can even ask for a discount. Buyer beware though, it's a very poor form to ask for it late in escrow. When you open escrow, that week is the time to ask for the discount or it's a very, very poor form. Topic number four, the final topic, include termite repairs in your offer. You know, a few years ago, there was a section in the CAR contract that had you put in termite repairs. It was just a default there might have been some deal made with CAR and the Termite Association of California. I have no clue. I'm making that up. But a few years ago, they took out that default that the seller would pay for termite repairs. A lot of people don't even put in termite repairs anymore. I still put them in for clients, and half the time sellers grant them and half the time they don't. And it obligates the seller to pay for termite repairs. I look at termite repairs, again, kind of like home warranties. There are hundreds of thousands of homes in California, and how many actually fall down or condemn because of termite repairs? Very few. There are some homes that don't sell for 50 years and never have termite work done, and there are homes that sell five times over 10 years and get termite work done every time. 
it's a confusing industry to me. The people that give you estimates of termite repairs also do the work, so it's not really an arm's length bid. I'm not a huge fan of how it operates, but if you write in those termite repairs, you can have the seller obligated to pay for them, or again, you go, hey, this was built five years ago. I'm just gonna take it as a credit and not do the repairs. Or hey, someone bought this home five years ago and did termite repairs. I'm not gonna do the termite repairs. Because the home right next door that's been, a, you know, the same owner for 50 years hasn't done termite repairs. Again, I'm not saying termite shouldn't be taken seriously, but in certain situations, you should write it in your offer and you can take those termite repairs and credit them or have the seller do them for free rather than have to negotiate them. So if you add up a $5,000 credit up front, if you add up an escrow discount of 250 bucks, if you're able to save 750 bucks on a home warranty and take that back, and then also say, hey, termite repairs oftentimes can be 1,500, 2,000, 3,000, put that back into your pocket, on a $1 million home, it adds up to $8,000 worth of savings. That's real money on $3 million homes, 2 million, 5 million, it can be significantly more. In savings. So as a buyer, implement those strategies. I've got tons of other tips for you if you'd like to save money, but go for those $8,000 in savings because it's a tough market out there. And sellers, if you're listening, those are some tricks the buyers may try to implement. Hey, you already give home warranties to anyone. If they want to take it as a credit, great. It's a good thing for the buyer. It doesn't hurt you because you're already granting it. But if someone writes an offer and then has a sneaky credit, that's obviously disclosed. You really need to take that credit and lower the purchase price to make sure you're really looking at apples to apples offers. So there you guys have it. Low inventory is persisting for another couple months. The California Housing Affordability Index number gave us some slight relief, and hopefully we're stabilizing. And the topics I just covered are some great strategies for buyers to save money. That's the podcast for this week. I'm going to be recording another podcast for you covering the effects of SB9 and SB10 throughout the state of California. That's subdividing lots and adding more units to R1 properties. It's a hot topic. I'm going to tell you how it will affect the South Bay and your risks as a buyer and seller and or the opportunities that come from it. So that's the hot topic we're covering next week. Tune in and I'll see you next time. Take care.